Thanks for joining us today. To stay up to date with our weekly messages, make sure to subscribe and follow us on social media. You can check us out on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, or download our app today to stay connected with all things The Valley. And if today's message impacted you or changed your life, share it with a friend. Because changed lives change lives. My name is Mark. I'm one of the pastors here. It's great to be with you today. I want to welcome everyone joining online. Don't be a stranger online. Let our chat host know. We have people literally that want to chat with you and get to know you and pray with you. So if you have any prayer requests, please put that on there too. Uh, before I dive into the sermon, I just want to, well, there's a verse in that song that, that stood out to me. It talked about, I want to bring healing for my family. I want to bring healing for my family. We at the Valley Church are huge on family ministry. Now, you're going to hear me say that word a lot, family ministry. In fact, out loud and loudly on the count of three, I want you to say family ministry. One, two, three, family ministry. Family ministry is, I define as birth through 12th grade. So anytime you hear about family ministry, birth through 12th grade, we believe it's a parent's primary role to raise their child or children in a home so they meet Jesus, but that we as the Valley Church are going to partner with parents. We are going to come alongside. And one of the ways we partner with parents is through our family ministry. Every Sunday, we have preschoolers and nursery and elementary and middle school and high school gathering, and I've challenged our staff at all our locations that I would like to see every Sunday that 40% of our church is 18 and under. Wouldn't that be cool? 40% of our church is 18 and under. We're not super far from there. In fact, I've been having the staff here dreaming, and I've done it with Troy in the past. Let's just dream. Life is hard. Like, if we don't dream, like hope and dreams, you lose them, you lose them both at the same time. We got to dream. And then we just got to believe God's going to come, and we got to do our part and all that. God will do the heavy lifting. So I started having them dream, and, and Bonnie, who's our preschool director, she just felt that in her dream that all three preschool rooms someday soon will be filled. How awesome is that? Okay. I actually evaluate, one of the ways I evaluate the health of a church is through their preschool and their middle school ministries, believe it or not. Okay, I can share that another day why, but I've seen that's, that's one of my, my measures, my, one of my metrics. And so here's why I'm saying this right now. We are going to see a ton of kids come here. 90% of decisions for Jesus are made by the age of 18. Why? Because when you get older like me, you become stubborn, hard-hearted, jaded, prideful, and 16 other things that aren't necessarily positive, right? Most decisions for Jesus are made by the age of 18. Now, I'm all for making, seeing 80-year-olds cross life faith. We're going to do that too. But I want to reach as many children in Pickle as possible, as many teenagers, and we are going to go full bore to make that happen, which means we're going to need a lot of volunteers. We're going to need a lot of adults who are back in that area once or twice a month or even more if you're able to, but especially once or twice. We want you to have a good rhythm in your life, pouring into them. And I know we have so many out, uh, that are, I'm what, looking at right now who serve in those ministries. But if you're thinking about serving in there or have thought about it a little bit, or maybe you just want to test drive it. Test drive means you go shadow, you try it out for a couple months, and if you're like, man, I would rather go lay down on 25A than be in the nursery. Like, we will release you. <laughs> we will release you. But I have seen that people test drive some things. I've done that with different things in life. I didn't think I would like it. I gave it a, you know, someone said, eh, just give it a shot for a couple months. And then I'm like, 
this is the coolest thing ever. So um, if, that's you, if any of those are you, if, uh, no matter what age you are, on the back of that connection card that, that Stacy had mentioned earlier, just mark family ministry. In fact, I bring these up sometimes, so you know, they look like this. They're in your row online. You have digital ones, so you're not off the hook, and we need people serving online too. Uh, and on the back, there's this little white box. It says questions, comments, or prayer requests, okay? Um, your comment today could be family ministry. Just write family ministry. Put it in the joy box, drop it off. So many of you uh, are serving in there. I know in elementary right now as we're, you know, I'm just working, praying through what the next steps are. There's so many people like Bethany and, and Chen and, and others I see even out here. I, I'm gonna, I hate naming names because I forget, I miss, miss people. Um, Wyans, I see you out there, thank you, uh, are pouring into those elementary students and doing an incredible job. So that's that, but you're going to hear me talk about family ministry a lot because I'm passionate about it. I was, a youth, I was a high school science teacher for a decade and then did youth ministry for a number of years too, so uh, that near and dear to my heart. And our team is doing an amazing job and we just need more people coming alongside to reap that harvest. This week, we kick off a new series, but before I do that, um, i got a story for you. This guy uh, passes away, and he passes away, he ends up in heaven, so good, and uh, he meets St. Peter there, and he says, hey, I, I'm so glad I'm in heaven, but I would really like to see what hell looks like, and Peter's like, well, that's a new request, never got that before, but okay, he goes, here's the deal, um, there's an elevator, you can get in the elevator, I will we'll close the doors, hit the button, you can go down to hell, uh, but don't step out, it will open up, you can get a glimpse, and then come back up. So, guys, okay. So he gets in the elevator, shuts the door. It takes about an hour. So it takes an hour ride from heaven to hell, okay? Uh, so he gets there, the doors open, and to his amazement, it's not at all what he thought. In fact, um, there, it's freezing cold. There's ice everywhere. There's glaciers. Uh, I mean, it, and he follows the direction, doesn't step out, but he is just shivering like crazy. The door shut. He comes back up opens the doors, and, and Peter's like, well, what was that like? He's like, it was totally unlike I ever thought. He goes, it was freezing cold. It was, there were icicles. There was like blizzard conditions. And he said to Peter, uh, is it usually like that? To which Peter said, freezing cold, blizzards. The Cleveland Browns finally won the Super Bowl. <laughs> ah, you got it. You'll get it. You'll get it. Okay. You know, they tell you when you speak that you should make friends with your audience, that you should, you know, not offend them too early. So I'm, I just lost a few of you. Now, the good thing is, for you Bengals fans, it wasn't too long ago that that punchline could have been the Bengals, but now it's like, now that's the expectation we're there every year and win. I, I share that story because I don't know about you, but I don't think about eternity a lot. I, I, it, every day just seems to have a lot of its own stuff. There might be times I do, but most days I'm, I got a thousand things to do, and we got to get the kids off to school, and we got, you know, we got this to-do list that never gets done, you know, just rolls into the next day, and, and we got, you know, all these other things, and we kind of get what I call myopic. We just get really short-sighted or navel-gazing. We're just so focused on our own stuff. Or if you're not focused on the present, we can live in the past, right? We don't tend to think future, but we live in the present or we go to the past. And the past can be things of like some things you're ashamed of or guilty about or, or stuck on or can't let go or, or frustrated about or you, you name it, right? And, and so we can get into this rut 
We can get into this rut if we're not careful that we just live in the here and now. We don't think about and live life from an eternal standpoint. And we definitely can fall into that trap of being stuck in the past. Well, the Apostle Paul has some advice on that, actually some personal experience on what should we do about the past. So let's hear what he has to say. Come on up. We're going to read uh, Philippians 3, uh, verses 13 and 14. Philippians 3, 13 and 14 says this, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize of which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Thank you very much. This new series is entitled New Beginnings. Today's sermon is entitled, New Start. For me, January 1st is when we would think about talking about new beginnings, right, or new start. But the way I'm wired, it's actually, the fall feels more to, like, like to me a new year or a new beginning than even the new year does. I don't know if any of you relate, but for me, it's like, okay, we're school starting, so that's, that's a big new thing, right? And, and you have, you know, new routines, right? You know, so now, you know, our kids are younger, so, you know, bedtimes, we're staying, you know, staying as tight on those as we can, and we're actually starting getting home from school and all the things that go into that. And then, you know, morning routines that I don't know why we try, but we try. Finally, I've told my son, dude, if you smell, if your teeth and breath is bad, peer pressure is not a bad thing, okay? Like, I'm not going to fight you on brushing your teeth. Good luck, okay? Um, but, and then you not only have that kind of new stuff happening, but it's fall. Fall to me is, I don't know, again, just seeing the weather's changing, not this week, but the weather's changing. Um, the, I'm not looking forward to winter, but I'm enjoying fall. I'm enjoying the, sea, the, the leaves are changing. Um, the grass seems to be the most green it typically is. And then not to mention, for me, it's the favorite time of the year because you have college football starting, you have NFL football starting, uh, you have major league baseball playoffs. Some of you could care less about this, but it excites me. I, I actually structure my Saturdays around college football. I work early in the morning till about noon, and then noon you have a noon game, you have a 3.30 game, you have a 7 o'clock game, and then as long as you can last, okay? That's how, I, that's how I function. And then you got set. But to me, it's, it's a new beginning. It's fresh. I, I'm excited about the, the new chapter, the new season. The, you know, our kids are in a new grade and all the things that come with that. And, you know, and obviously, new, new chapter, new season here. There's a guy in Scripture that runs into a potential new start. I, I, I don't know if he was anticipating this was going to be a new start, but he positioned himself to receive the potential for a new start if he would be willing to move out of the present and definitely let go of the past. His name is Zacchaeus. And we're going to be in chapter 19 of the Gospel of Luke, Luke the physician, who was very detailed, very organized, and very precise about his articulation of things. If you have the Bibles in your row, I love when we grab our Bibles. If you have the Bible app on your phone, go for it. I'm going to be in the New International Version. You can read any version you want. I don't care. Uh, but that's the one that's going to line up with the same words I say. Uh, if you want to read it on the screen, that's perfectly fine too. But I'm a, I'm a big advocate. Get that Bible app on your phone. You and I have a thousand other apps on our phone. Why don't we add that one? It might make our life a little bit better. Verse 1, Jesus entered Jericho. Jesus entered Jericho and he was passing through. 
Now, I always stop. I ask a lot of questions. Um, that's the teacher, I guess, in me. But where was he going to? Well, we can read later. He's going to Jerusalem. He's not going there to have a party. He's going there to die. That's important because of his willingness to stop and have a conversation with someone. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead, and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up, and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once, and he welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to the house to be the guest of a sinner. A little context before we finish the rest of the story. We get a little bit of Zacchaeus' background. We, we find out his stature. He's physically not as tall. Is that a big deal? Not a big deal? Probably not a big deal. Just a detail. I mean, remember I said Luke was in the details. Uh, but we find out he was a tax collector. Not just a tax collector. There was a word used before that. What was that word? Chief. He was the chief tax collector. So you're like, well, what's that matter? Here's the deal. In the first century, tax collectors worked for the Roman government. The Roman government was despised by the Jewish nation. Why? Because all the Roman government tried to do was oppress them, kill them, drive them out, and tax the daylights out of them. We're not going to get into a tax conversation today for obvious reasons, but did you know in that time it was not unheard of that tax someone up to 80% or more? I don't know if that makes me still good about end-of-the-year stuff, but 80%, 80%. The chief tax collector was the head of the pyramid. He was the boss. So how the tax collectors made their money was they would not only charge what the Roman government was charging, but how that percentage got so high is they would tax on top of that to pad their own pockets. The chief tax collector, think of going to the top pyramid or whatever, he then was getting all that money and then he was taxing them on top of that. I don't know about you, but I don't have to be a biblical scholar to see, I bet this guy didn't have a lot of friends, right? I mean, even you right now are thinking, I don't like this guy. I don't know him, and he's dead. I don't know, but I don't like him. Like, he, he seems like he would, he would have ruined my life if I was living then, and he just didn't seem like a good guy. That's how people felt about him. And one day, Jesus is coming to town. Jesus, at this point, was in rock star status. Everywhere this guy went, people were healed, set free of all kinds of different things. His teaching was totally different than the preachers of the day. His came with authority and with power and incredible wisdom, incredible insight. So people wanted to be a part of what was going on, whether they wanted to be really close because they just wanted to soak it in, they wanted to experience it. Others just wanted to say they were there. Right? They were there. Zacchaeus chooses to be there. And then let's look at what happened, starting in verse 8. But Zacchaeus stood up and he said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I had cheated anyone out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was, out loud, loudly, lost. 
Here's the deal. I don't know about you, but sometimes I read the Bible way too quick. I've read this many, many, many times. Now, you just might be smarter than me, which is a very high likelihood. But for the first time ever, I realized something that was a game changer. I don't know why I assumed this, just because I think when you read verse 6, you think verse 7 happens immediately after, because it takes like 10 seconds or less to read that. The thing that hit me first was, I, for whatever in my mind, kept grouping this whole conversation by the tree. I read that he went to his house, but I didn't put it all together. Like, this is a whole separate setting. And even then, I was like, okay, even if he went to his house, you kind of read it like, this must have been like a five-minute conversation. Went to his house, they had lunch or whatever, Jesus goes on his merry way. But I got stuck, and I really started having an issue with this, because Jesus says, essentially, that this guy has been saved. He has been made right. He has crossed the line of faith, whatever term you want to use. And I really had a problem with that. You're like, this ought to be interesting. Why do you have a problem, Pastor? I have a problem because he didn't do anything different. You read it and be like, well, he said he's going to give four times of his stuff back that he cheated on, the other half to the poor. Number one, mathematically, that doesn't even make sense economically. But then the other part is he hadn't done it. You see how you can assume things, or maybe it's just me, but you get ahead of the story a little bit. He had not done squat. There's a theological term for you. He hadn't done anything. And Jesus has the audacity to say, he's saved. And I'm like, how? How can he be saved? He didn't say the sinner's prayer. Well, that's not in the Bible, so I'll help you on that one. But, but he didn't do anything yet. So can you hang with me on that tension? The other tension I have is, he said, today salvation has come to the entire what? Household. I missed that one. Totally missed that one for decades. I thought he was just talking to Zacchaeus. Well, think about it. Zacchaeus goes to his house. Who do you think lives at Zacchaeus' house? His family. It's not, you know, this isn't like his family. Back in that culture, not just probably his immediate family, but probably multiple generations. Something big happened here. Something huge happened here, and we got to figure it out. And I've spent probably 30 hours this week trying to figure it out, so I don't know if I got there or not, but we'll see. I asked this question to start with. See, every, time, every passage in Scripture, for some of us, if you're here and like, I don't know if I believe the Bible, I'm not into the Bible, I don't read the Bible, it kind of seems boring, I can understand that to a degree. But have you ever read the Bible by asking questions? Have you ever read the Bible and just like, I'm going to wrestle with this. I'm not going to just say I don't believe it. I'm not going to say I even believe it. I'm going to wrestle. See, when you wrestle, you start actually seeing that there's, there's some things that start flying out at you. Actually, I tell people, it's not about reading the Bible. It's about letting the Bible read you. In other words, let God speak to you. Slow down. Slow down. If you only read one chapter today, that's fine. If you only read six verses today, that's fine. Because if you read two chapters and never met Jesus, that's not cool. But if you read six verses today and met Jesus, that's awesome. And the question I asked as I read this is a simple question. Why in the world did Zacchaeus climb a tree? Why did he climb the tree? You might be like, oh, that's a dumb question. I don't care. Okay. I, and so what's an answer to that question? Why did he climb the tree? Someone throw it out. Why did he climb the tree? He was short. Okay, another reason? To see him, to see Jesus, okay? You guys are very smart. We got like, awesome, okay? 
Let's just dismiss this. Okay. Uh, those are all potential reasons. He was short. That seems the most obvious, right? Or he wanted to see Jesus. That doesn't seem too far-fetched. Now, here's where the conclusion I came to. I was laying on the couch last night. You ever do this? You're laying on the couch. You got your laptop. You're working or whatever. I'm watching Penn State game. They won. I think the Buckeyes won too. You know, Wisconsin. I know I see a Wisconsin fan out there. Good job. Okay. We're all good. Everyone's happy today, right? Michigan won. Uh, okay. Anyhow. So, I, I'm, I'm there and I'm like, Jess, my wife's name is Jessica. I said, Jess, uh, I'm still not there yet with this sermon. Like, I've been working on this a lot. I still, like, I, there's something missing. She said, well, that stinks for you. Okay, no, she didn't. She said, don't say that. People think, like, I don't, she's, you know, I'm sure, she's praying right now, I'm sure. And so I wrestled last night, and it finally, there's some stuff that finally came to me. I can't answer the question why he climbed a tree. I don't know. We really don't. I, we have some decent ideas. I can tell you that he showed up there because he was curious. There was something going on, right? He didn't have to go there. He chose to go there, and he knew Jesus. The Bible tells us this part. He knew Jesus was there or coming through there, and he made sure he got it. It says he ran ahead, right? He got ahead of him. He wanted, he did, there was, he wanted to see Jesus somehow. There was something going on. But here's what we do know. As soon as Jesus, it says Jesus was walking by, and I said, that he, was Jesus a busy man? Oh, yeah. Did he have a lot of people wanting his attention? Oh, yeah. Did he have a lot on his mind at the moment? Yes. I told you where he was walking to. He was walking to his death sentence, and he knew it. Yet it says, and I, I never get tired of when the Bible says this, it says that he saw Zacchaeus. He sees you. He sees what's going on. He sees where you are. He sees where you've been. He sees where, and he stops. And he looks at him. And he says, Zacchaeus, get down here. Now, I don't know why Zacchaeus went up there. But I do know that when Jesus locked eyes with him and said, come down, there was zero hesitation. And when Jesus said, hey, I want, you, I want to come over and hang out at your house. Think about this. Zacchaeus could have also been in that tree because he's like, I don't want to be around those people because they hate me. <laughs> By the way, sycamore fig trees are sycamore trees. You can uh, look it up yourself. They have tons of branches, tons of branches. They're very easy to climb, and they're also very easy to hide in. Jesus saw him, whether he was wanting to be seen or not to be seen, I don't know, but Jesus saw him, and his response was to come down to lay it all out there, because I guarantee he didn't walk by those people, and they gave him a pat on the back and said, so good to see you today, Zacchaeus. How you doing? How's the family? There was other words that we can't say in church. Right? I mean, there, there, there's not a happy, and he walks through, and he goes to his house with Jesus. Now, again, this is where I've always assumed things. It doesn't tell us how long Jesus sent, spent there. It just says, "Zach, he has come down immediately." So he came down at once, and he welcomed him gladly. All the people didn't like that. Verse eight. But Zacchaeus stood up, and he said to the Lord, "Now, where did he stand up?" This is where I always thought he stood up, and I was like. It's silly me. He stood up at the table or wherever they were meeting at his house. He stood up, and it doesn't say how long this happened. Whether Jesus was there two hours or 12 hours, we don't know. But you know that there were some conversations that we don't see in Scripture. There was a heart-to-heart -heart going on. 
There was the gaze of Jesus in his eyes and his heart that Zacchaeus got to sit across from for a while. And he got to realize some things that maybe you've realized when you've sat with Jesus. And my prayer is that if you've never got to spend time with him and meet him for who he is and how he sees you, that today maybe is that day. But in that period of time that Jesus interacted and sat at the home and sat probably at the dining room table or whatever across from Zacchaeus or reclined on on the sofas of the day in the living room, he got to hear the heart of Jesus. He got to hear Jesus tell him that his past does not define him. He got to hear Jesus say that others might not like him or want to be around him, but I'm spending time with you. Jesus always went to the marginalized. Do you ever notice that? He always went to the outcast. He always went to the poor. He always went to the broken. And I want to pause there. Until you and I realize our brokenness, we're never going to get to meet him the way he wants to meet. Being a good person will never make you right with God. I don't know about you, but when I do the good person thing, I always compare myself to someone who's done terrible things. You know what? I'm... God, I am pretty good compared to Jeffrey Dahmer. Well, that's, God's like, that's good, Mark. I don't really, I'm not a big fan of murder and cannibalism, okay? So, we do that, right? We, we, when's the last time I compared my goodness to Mother Teresa? You know, I don't want to go there. Like, I don't, don't, I don't, I don't go as high on the ladder, right? In fact, Mother Teresa was asked that question one time, like, if God's a 10 and Satan's a zero, like, where would you rank yourself? I think she put herself at like a three. I'm like, oh, jeez, now I'm closer to zero than 10 because I can't go above her. Being an American won't make you right with Jesus. Coming to church won't make you right with him. Serving, all those things are great and all that kind of stuff. But the only way when we look through Scripture is at some point people have to, had to come to grips with their depravity. Isaiah, who in the presence of God, says, I'm of unclean lips. Just in the presence of God, Abraham in the presence of God, I mean, you see it all over time. God is holy. He is perfect. He is set apart. And we are not. And that's why we need this beautiful world word, this beautiful word. In fact, all these different theologians, uh, C.S. Lewis and all these different theologians, and they were going up and they were writing their theology on the board. What made, what made their religion different than the other ones? And they had some brilliant things and, and really good stuff. And the story goes, whether true or not, but I, I think it, I think it, I'm sure it probably is, that C.S. Lewis walks up to the board. What makes Christianity different than any other world religion? C.S. Lewis, the brilliant mind, walks up to the board and he writes, G, R, A, S, and E, grace. Grace is the greatest thing ever. Grace means that it's a free gift. There's nothing you and I do to earn it. There's nothing you and I do to deserve it. Jesus Christ took care of all that for us so that we could receive it. And in that day, 2,000 plus years ago, sitting in his home across from the one who was going to the cross and for him, Zacchaeus' life was changed forever. You see, I don't care whether you and I are seeking after him or not seeking after him. The truth of the matter is that Jesus is seeking after you and me. 
Whether or not you and I are looking for him, whether you and I care if he exists, he is pursuing you. The word for that, or the term for that, is actually called pervenient grace. We hear grace is this gift we receive, saving grace you've maybe heard of, even maybe sanctifying you've possibly heard of, of this, of, of kind of writing God a blank check for your life, as Pastor Andy had talked about a month or so ago. But pervenient grace is, is incredible too. It essentially means that God is pursuing you whether you even know it or not. God is pursuing you whether you even want him to or not. And God is pursuing you even if you're running the whole other direction. He's chasing you down because he's crazy about you. You see, as soon as sin entered the world, I'm going to summarize a lot of the Bible, as soon as sin entered the world, God went on this relentless pursuit after humanity. And it climaxed or culminated with his son being sent to earth to die on the cross. And one day sitting at a table, Zacchaeus had that epiphany. He discovered who Jesus was. Jesus said, it's time for a new start. Are you ready? Are you ready? You gotta leave the past behind. And I believe part of that was you gotta, you gotta make things right. And that's why Zacchaeus said, I'm gonna give it all. I haven't done it yet, but I'm gonna give. I'm gonna, whatever it takes. He was gonna go from filthy rich to poverty because Jesus said, you gotta give everything to follow me. Including dying to self or picking up your cross, which was a first century instrument of death. And that has not changed. We come up with all kinds of crazy things for what the cross means. It still means the same, that you and I would be willing to die if necessary for the cross of Christ. That's really hard for me to figure out because I'm an American. I don't have that kind of oppression. But as we're talking today, there's no doubt in this hour service, someone in this world lost their life because of Jesus. If you go, go, go to the Voice of the Martyrs website, you'll find that to be a fact. So what do we do with this? Here's what happened. Zacchaeus' heart was changed. You see, it's not about doing religion. It's not about following rules. It's not about the external. It's about the internal. At some point, every single human on this earth has to meet Jesus. And when we meet Jesus, because he's pursuing you, so you won't not meet him, you will meet him. We have to decide what we're going to do about it. You either ex accept his leadership or we reject it. You see, it's fascinating. There's another story right before this about a guy called the rich young ruler. In fact, it happens chronologically not too much earlier than this one. This guy shows up and he's got his act together. He's the guy who came to church. He's the guy who read his Bible. He's the guy who gave. He's the guy who served. He's the guy who was in a life group. He was the guy who, and Jesus saw him. And they had a conversation. And Jesus said, are you willing to surrender everything to follow me? And the Bible tells us what happened. That the rich young ruler, the one who we would say is the church person, walked away sad. Because he wasn't willing to go all in. Yet this guy who we would say is corrupt and who, is, who when he shows up here is going to be a little scandalous or whatever, He's the one, plot twist, who walks away whole. He's the one who walks away with peace. He's the one who walks away with purpose. I used to teach high school science, and in the science, I was a hands-on teacher. And so everything we did, I just couldn't stand up there and lecture. It just seemed boring. I would fall asleep half the time. So... We would do a lot of experiments with a lot of, of objects. I just think we learn better that way. 
And so one day a professor had a group of students and he, uh, sometimes I'm making sure everything's down there, that's when the band can mess with you and take stuff, okay? The professor shows up with this bull, glass bull, okay? Empty, everyone agree, empty? Yeah, I know air, but it's empty, okay? I taught high schoolers, okay? And he took and he grabbed these rocks and he started putting rocks into the bowl. He started filling up the bowl with rocks and kept going. Actually, I had a dream this week that I put it in too hard and shattered the glass. Things pastors dream about, it's crazy. There we go. Okay, would everyone agree that I probably can't really fit any more big rocks in this bowl? The answer is yes, okay. Can now, can I fit anything else in here? I mean, is, is, it, is it full? Would you say, is it full? Okay. Well, maybe, maybe not. So, right, is it full? Well, okay. Now, you're a smart group, so I'm going to, and I know it didn't, I ran out of stuff, but can I fit more in here? Yes, yes. Some of you probably even know where, yep, yeah, right, here we go. I have a 50-pound bag of sand in my office, and the amazing thing, this is God's goodness. I had my kids in with me yesterday, and it's not all throughout the church, so it's good. Okay. Maybe. All right, can I fit anything else in here? You're smart, you know, okay? Right, and then we do this. And there we go. Oh, look at that. It's beautiful. Okay. And then we're going to light it on fire. No, I'm just kidding. All right, um, I taught chemistry. Now, the question, so the professor said to his class, he said, what's the, what's the moral of this object lesson? And his star pupil, you know, raising his, okay, I know, prof, I know. Here's the point, that no matter how full we think our life is, no matter how much we think we have on our plate, there's always more space, there's always more time, there's always more we can be available to people. The professor looked at him and said, no. He said, the moral of the story is as simple as this. If I hadn't put the big rocks in first, there wouldn't be any room for them. Think about it, right? If I hadn't put the big rocks in first, they're not going to fit. So here's what I want to ask you today. What are the big rocks in your present or in your past that you need to meet Jesus with and let him deal with so you can have a new start? That's the title today, New Start. Series is New Beginnings. What do you need to let go of? What do you need to release? What, what are, is there a big rock? Is there something you can identify right now? You're like, this is what's holding me back. It doesn't have to be sin necessarily. It could be, is it pride? Is it control? Is, is it comfort? That's one. I think that's the greatest tool the enemy uses for us. Not have to get us to sin wildly, just get us comfortable. Just get us complacent. He's, he's like, that's, that, I don't, that church, I can move on. That's not going to happen with me. My chief, I, I consider my, my chief role as a pastor is to kick people square in their comfort zone. Okay, so just have <laughs> like, that's nuts. You know, that's how I work. That's what I do to myself. Because if we get comfortable, what, what use are we to the kingdom? If we get comfortable, if we get complacent, what use are... We have to step out. We have to live in the courageous zone, not the comfort zone. What rock do you need to let go of? Maybe it's something from your past that you just keep holding on to. That passage that was read earlier from Philippians. Forgetting, forgetting what is behind. 
and straining for what is ahead. I press on to reach the goal of heavenward. I opened up intentionally today with the story about eternity because there's a favorite passage in mine that gives us incredible advice of what does it look like to think with the things from an eternal perspective. And how does God operate with things from an eternal perspective? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off a couple things. Nope. Let us throw off what? Everything. Yes, you have the same translation as I do. Everything that hinders any rock, anything that's getting in the way of what God wants to do, and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Now I'm going to read, I didn't have it on the slide, I'm going to read the second verse. And let us fix our eyes on Jesus. That same Jesus who fixed his eyes on Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus' life was never the same again. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. He's the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. I get goosebumps every time I read it. He shamed the shame of the cross. The cross was meant to be the most shameful instrument of death, and he shamed it. He shamed the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of God so that you and I can have hope, so that you and I can be set free, so that you and I can have a new start. So I want to ask this question, and then we're going, to, we're going to respond. I believe we should always respond when we gather. We open up God's Word, there should be a response. I'm asking God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to change? What do you want me to think differently? That's repentance, by the way. We think repentance is, we, we got this massive sin thing in our life. Maybe we do, and we got to deal with it. Repentance literally means a change of heart, or a change of mind. Saying, God, what do you want to change? My thinking, my heart, what do you want to change? He did it for Zacchaeus and he wants to do it today. What do you need to release? What do you need to give over? What do you need to lay at his feet? Just like Zacchaeus, he's looking at you. He said, would you come spend some time with me today? We're going to do that. Would you, come, would you come spend some time with me? I just, I just want, to, I want to spend some time with you. Crazy about you. We're going to sing this song in closing. The song is entitled, I can remember a whole sermon, but I forget the song titles. <laughs> what is it called? Nothing Else. And there's some lyrics in this song that say the following. I am caught up in your presence. I am caught up in your presence. Nothing else. Nothing else today but Jesus. I am caught up in your presence. I am caught up in this holy moment. I just want you. And it goes on and says this. Take me back to where we started. I open up my heart to you. We're not bringing the full band up for this. This is more of an acoustic song. This is more of a reflective song. And so I want to give you time to respond. Uh, we have response stations here. We have communion stations up here. They're on the side. There might be even one in the middle. We serve an open communion here at the Valley. You don't have to be a member or a regular attender. You just have to be a follower of Jesus. That's actually Jesus' requirement, which I think is a really good idea. 
We remember and celebrate. I'm going to give you a chance to say yes to Jesus. I also believe every time we gather, we've got, we got to give people a chance to say yes to Jesus. There's a candles up here on either side. It's not about a candle. It's not about anything other than it's a decision. Maybe today you're going to come light a candle and you're going to say, I choose a new start. I'm going to choose a new start. I'm going to let me, you might know what it is you're leaving go of or letting go of or, or starting to think more eternal. Maybe you don't. Maybe nothing's come, but you're like, God, I'm giving you permission to do what you need to do. You have my heart. Maybe it's just praying where you are. Maybe you kneel. I got some people, we're working actually on prayer stations where you could come up and actually spend some time with God. We could spend time anywhere, of course, with him. Maybe it's kneeling at your seat. Uh, We'll stand in a moment so you don't feel awkward or anything like that, but how about we just meet Jesus? The one who wants to talk to you, the one who wants to encourage you, the one who wants to heal you, the one who wants to make you whole. And like I said, the song starts slower. It's a little slower in nature intentionally. So if you want to respond right away, you respond right away. If you want to wait a little bit, you wait a little bit. If you want at some point to start singing the song, sing the song. We're going to create a culture of response at the valley where you respond whenever you want. If you want to respond during the first song, respond. Because Jesus is in this place. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, come meet us. I pray that we would sit at your feet. That in the busyness and the the things in our mind we got to do later today, that no, no, no. In this moment, we would still ourselves. In this moment, we would get present with you. In this moment, we would get real with you. And if we're here today or watching today and We've never said yes to you. We, we walked into the day like Zacchaeus walked climb, when he climbed up that tree, a broken, hurting, lonely, frustrated, purposeless man. I pray that today people would confess their sins, that people would get an internal change, a heart change, allow you to do a heart transformation so that they can leave the day just like the guy who stood up at the table and said, I have decided. I have, he didn't say it this way, but here's what he essentially meant. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow you, Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. It's a new start. Today can be your new start. Would you stand with me? And let's sing this song, let's let's respond, I am caught up in your presence. I am caught up in your presence. I just want to sit here at your feet. I'm caught up in this holy moment. And I never want to leave. You ever been there with Jesus where you just don't want to leave? It's so sacred, it's so special. I pray that you would experience that today. Welcome to the Valley Church. Our mission is to see change lives, and we hope that this relevant teaching inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Thanks for checking out the podcast and enjoy this message.